Christ. Well, it's good to be together in God's house and diving back into God's Word. We took a little pause from Romans last week, but we're picking back up where we left off in chapter 13. I want to ask the question, if you can think of a time in your life where you ever found out that you owed something that you didn't know that you owed. Anybody bring something to mind there? With tax season fast uh, wrapping up, uh, the moment of reckoning maybe coming in the next couple of weeks. So if you don't have a story, you might about to have might uh, have one coming up soon. My moment of reckoning was just a few weeks ago sitting across the table. I can never seem to get taxes right. Does anybody else every year, it's kind of a, you, you just don't know what you're going to get. You're like, well, am I going to get a little bit back? It's never a lot back. It's usually a little bit back. And then when it's something owed, it's usually a lot owed and not a little owed. Anybody else have this same experience with taxes? I remember sitting a few weeks ago across the table with the lady that does ours, and she told the figure that I owed, and I'm like, are you serious? I owe that much. Yeah, she was right. I did. And so anyway, for, for me, usually when I associate something that's owed, it's not usually in a positive term. Can we agree on that? That's usually associated, debt is usually associated as a negative thing, right? Well, this morning, and the funny thing about the way that God operates is in his kingdom, he has this tendency to take everything and turn it upside down. This morning when we're talking about debt, it's actually seen as a good thing. Like, wait a second, what, there, is there a such thing as a, as a, a good debt? Well, this morning we're going to get a chance to see a, a good debt, but let me explain it to you after I pray. Dear Lord, thanks so much for this chance to be together in your house, and what a privilege, what an awesome thing to slow down our week a little bit and, and have a chance to sing about your greatness, have an opportunity to remember you through communion and and now I have a chance to explore your word and what you might have for us this morning. I ask that you'd speak to us directly, that this wouldn't be a message for the person down the road, that it'd be for that a specific word for us this morning, that you'd meet us in our point of need. I pray that you'd stretch us, stretch even our understanding now of this idea of debt. pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So looking in chapter 13, and it's helpful for all looking at that together, so Romans 13, we're going to go from verses 8 through the end of the chapter, 8 through 14, starts saying this, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. If you remember the last section we looked at, it was a little bit more challenging. Some of us were stretched a little bit with how we are appropriately to respond to government. Well, this week he's continuing with that idea of talking about paying what's owed to somebody, make sure that we're all paid up and we don't have outstanding debt with folks that we're paying, making payments appropriately. But here he talks about a different type of obligation. He transitions to something that we still owe, and you see it there in the text, owe no one anything except to love each other. To love each other. That's the one ongoing debt. It's kind of like your school loan. It's never done with. It's the debt that keeps on going. It's the forever debt that he describes here in the, debt, in the text. A love debt that's never fully paid. It's an expectation for every single follower of Jesus Christ 
to love our neighbor, to love our brother. It's not just talked about here. I'll point to one other text that I think paints the picture. John 4, 19 says this. We love because why? It says it on the screen. Because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is not an option. We can't separate that link between the two. We can't claim to love and follow God, but not love our neighbor. And neighbor is a pretty broad term that's all-inclusive. It's not just made up of those in our tight, close circles. It includes everyone. Yes, that person that's difficult to love as well. That neighbor, that mother-in-law, that, 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 that co-worker that always seems to get in your business. That, that, that it includes everybody when we're called to this commandment to love. A lot of times when we hear that, we're like, man, how is that even possible? That doesn't come natural to us. Love earlier in Romans, we learned about this. Romans 5, 5 says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He's the one that makes this command possible. It's like he's made the, the payment to us, and we're just our job is just then passing it on to others. It's, it's taking what's already been given and, and passing it on. I don't, I don't mind. I don't know if you're like me. I don't, I don't mind passing on other people's money. It's kind of fun spending other people's money, right? And, and, and so the, this, this idea is, the, is similar. He's saying, listen, I've deposited this in you so that you can pay it on to others. And the thing that's funny about this debt is it's actually, as I titled it, a good debt. It's one that you're, you, as the, the more you start making payments to other people, you're like, wow, I kind of like this. Kinda, it kind of it feels good. It's, it's pretty rewarding to pass on God's love to other people. This past Friday, Fridays are kind of the most hectic day of the week in the, the church office because it's kind of the culmination where everything has to get done. The, the slides, the PowerPoint, the handout, the, the, the notes, the inserts, my notes, my cert, like all of these different things that need to all be finished on Friday afternoon. So usually if there's any kind of a interruption on Friday, you're kind of like, if I'm going to be real honest, I'm like, okay, okay, I got to get back to finishing these things. And, and so this Friday afternoon, which it always seems to happen, there's a, a lady who comes through the door of the church with her daughter. She's huffing and puffing out of breath. And I, I noticed, it didn't take long to notice, that she is like legit pregnant. Not like, like a, a few months in. Like she literally, the first thing she says to us, she says, guess when my due date is? Today. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like this woman's going to give birth in the office right now. And, and so I ended up, and in, in if I'm real honest with myself, in my mind, I start thinking to myself, Wow, this is not going to be a quick one. This is not going to be a quick. This is isn't that bad? I'm sorry. Like that's that's bad. I'm like, man, this is going to this woman's one. She's pregnant. She's got a lot to share. And and so and, and so she starts talking and telling her story. But the fun thing is, the the Holy Spirit said, Scott, stop worrying about finishing your message on love and actually engage here. And so. 
And so anyway, is God's, God doing a work on me? This is confession time. We're in church. And so, and so, uh, and so we're just talking. And man, the, the more hearing her story, and she was just super dynamic woman. Stephanie came in. She started making care packages to send with her. That's kind of what Stephanie does. And we're just talking to this woman, getting to hear her story, got to pray over her. You guys know that how you give your, towards the deacons fund each month, and we get to bless people. So I got to give her some gas cards and some food grocery cards and got to walk out. And she, at the end of the conversation, She's like, man, you guys are really nice here. Like, what's going, what's going on? And I'm like, I'm like, we got a love debt to pay. I didn't really say that, but it would have been perfect if I did. If I did. But here's the idea, is what God's called us to do isn't something that you're like, oh, man, I got to pay that back too. Listen, what he's done for us, there's no hope of ever paying him back. So it's kind of figurative language when he talks about a love debt because it's kind of comical to think of trying to pay God back for what he's done. But what he's saying is, if you're going to do anything, do it for your brothers and sisters, and you're going to love it. And he goes on to say, and the whole key to following all the law is if you get this area of love right. If you get the, it's all wrapped up, if I were to sum up all of it, God is saying, it's all wrapped up in that one thing is loving others. And he goes on to, he makes this list. You guys see it in the text there? He lists all of these different things, different areas, which each one of them is impossible to love the person and act the way mentioned. The first one he mentions, he talks about adultery. He's like, listen, if you're actually loving somebody, adultery is not possible because it's selfish and self-seeking. There's no such thing as a loving act of adultery. He's saying, if you get the love piece right, that's not even an option. He goes on to say, if you love somebody, is stealing really, does that make sense? When you're trying to serve somebody and provide for their needs, how, how in the world would that make sense to steal from them? Or how do you hate somebody that you love that's the exact opposite covet someone that you're trying to give to he's saying man if you get this love thing straight all of a sudden the christian life isn't a defensive strategy sometimes that's our mentality of just sit in a corner and resist sin okay today's the day i'm gonna do it i'm gonna no it's an offensive strategy he's saying go out and just love people and the rest of this stuff takes care of itself he says man if you can get this one area of loving your neighbor as yourself, it's kind of interesting to me that God chooses to speak in those terms because he understands that we don't have a problem with loving ourselves. Like, we're, we're pretty good at that. Anybody got that down to a science? Like, uh, I don't see any hands raised. But, uh, the, but, but, but if we're honest with ourselves, like that, we do a really good job of loving ourselves. That doesn't cause the world to turn their head and notice, but what does cause them to notice and say, what is going on when you start loving other people the same way in which you love yourself that's what he's pointing to so he's saying that's the debt that we that we owe and so many of us are missing out on that and missing out on all that God has for us in store he's like listen the way I have it set up is I keep pouring in love into you and you get to pour it out to other people and when you're empty don't worry I'll pour some more in there he's like man that's what he's designed for us how we're designed to interact with the world around us Yet, so many are sleeping their selfish, self-centered lives away. Take a look at verse 11. Besides this, 
you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake up from your sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believe. If I'm honest with myself, one of my favorite pastimes is sleeping. Anybody else like taking a good nap? Anybody got that down to a science? Like, Josh, I know you could nap good, right? Uh, there's nap, napping is one of the best things when you're tired in the world. For people that can't take a nap, some people are like, yeah, I don't really nap. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That's, that's a very difficult life for someone that can't nap. My family teases because I can be in the middle of a room with everybody talking and hanging out, and I can just be out, man. I'm just gone. And here's my, my when it comes to sleep, here's my number one nemesis. I want to show you a picture right there that's literally the chair in our living room and that thing just calls my name soon as i'm in that chair there's slobber coming out like i'm i i am just i'm just gone in fact it was funny i teased him about it in the first hour john was in here john was over at one of our elder meetings one time and I, and I joked about it. I said, be careful sitting in that chair because you're going to be out in like five minutes. So we're going through our elder agenda, working out. All of a sudden, literally, I heard snoring in the room. And I was like, there's John asleep in our elders meeting in that chair. True story. Uh, so, so anyway, here's the, the reason I bring up the sleeping thing is because that's exactly what he calls us to wake up out of. Encyclopedia Britannica defines sleep as a state of inactivity with a loss of consciousness and a decrease in responsiveness to events taking place. That's a great definition. A decrease in responsiveness to events taking place. And unfortunately, I think that's exactly what happens in the Christian world. There's a decrease in responsiveness to the events taking place. God is at work. He has this love debt that he says, I want you to be a part of. I want that to be what your life revolves around, loving people, looking for ways to serve them, to meet the needs around you, and you're dozing off. You're dozing off. You're asleep. You're, you're missing out. And he creates the sense of, of urgency because he says, besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake up. And what does he say next? For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Salvation is near. When you first read that, you might be a little confused because you're like, man, I thought when I prayed and embraced Jesus Christ and his death as payment for my sin, I thought that was salvation. And you're like, yeah, that, that was salvation. But salvation in the New Testament is described really in, in three different terms. You have the, the justification where you're justified before God. That's the salvation when we pray to embrace what he's done. Then you have sanctification. You guys know that church word, right? Sanctification is the process of becoming what? I'm putting you on the spot. More like Jesus. There you go. Good job. So sanctification, uh, just making sure the high schoolers are awake. Uh, the sanctification is the process to become more and more like Jesus over time. That's, the, that's, that's also part of salvation. But then the ultimate that we're looking forward to is the word glorification. When someday God, by one of two means, either God in coming, makes the choice to come back and bring us to be with himself or that's one option. I'm hoping for that. Second option is 
We kick the bucket like everybody else. So that's the other option. Either way, that is going to happen. We're going to come before the Lord, and that glorification is going to be part of the process where we're done with sin, we're done with this body. Anybody looking forward to that? Done with all this, all this tension in the world, done with all the sin, all the tug of war that's going on with the, with the flesh. And he's saying that day is coming fast. It's closer than it was, I love how he's not real profound here, it's closer than it was yesterday. <laughs> in, other words, in other words, like he's not, he's not making any promises of it being next week or next month, but he's saying, but the one thing's for sure, it's closer than it was yesterday. It's closer than it was 15 minutes ago. It's on its way, and if you're like me, the older you get, don't you feel like time just starts fa- passing faster? And faster, whoa, another week has passed, a month has passed. What do you mean I'm 42? What? Uh, like, are, are you serious? Like, time just keeps passing faster and faster. And that's why he's saying, you know the time, the hour has come. It's racing upon us, whether we realize it or not. Remember when I was growing up, my, my mom would always use this kind of either as a positive thing or a negative thing. She would say, dad's going to be home soon. And that, that was a good news if you had had good behavior, you know what I mean? If you're living right and you're, you, you got your, your ducks in a row, you're like, all right, dad's going to be here. It's going to be awesome. We're going to play some hoops, going to hang out. It's going to be great. But if you had blown it, you're kind of like, oh, dad is coming home soon. I'm going to have to meet the man, you know, like I have to, I have to give an account for my actions. And, and really, when you think about Paul and his words, for some of us here, we need to hear it like, yes, dad's going to be here soon. It's going to be awesome. Some of us, it's like, hey, get your act together. You know, stop it. Cut it out. Stop doing some of that stuff. Like, start living in line with who you are, your new identity in Christ. But either way, he's pointing to the fact that we're called to wake up. The next verse is he points to the fact of what happens once we wake up. It's kind of more the, the practical side of this. Verse 12 says this, the night is far gone. The day is at hand, finishing with that idea. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. The day is at hand. He points to this idea, the, the first thing that you notice when, when you wake up, there's some things that start to happen when it's time to start getting ready for the day. Basically, there's two things that we see in the text here. There's one, there's shedding of the old, taking off the old clothes and getting dressed in the new clothes for the day. That's kind of the routine. Anybody do that routine really every single day? I, I hope so. But, um, but those two phases, the first one, he says to cast off. What does he cast off? Really, anything that gets in the way of loving others. He points to the, the phrase that says, cast off the works of darkness. The works of darkness. For that, it's a general expression or term describing all sins in which sinners might indulge or that we'd be drawn to. He mentions a few by name. You see them there in the text. It says, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not quarreling and jealousy. Each one of those he describes it as how you live when you're living at night. It's interesting how sin seems to amplify in darkness. He walks through those just practical ones there. If you think of the first one there, 
I don't know that we talk a whole lot about this even within the church is drunkenness. The idea of drunkenness, the, the, the picture there, a lot of times people with the alcohol is just like, yeah, but I'm, I'm just expressing my, my Christian liberty. Yeah, for sure you get to do that, but, but, but let's think about it. Thinking about as we drink, asking some tough questions, it might be permissible, but is it beneficial? Is that much that you're drinking, is that helping you to become more like Jesus Christ? Are the fruits of the Spirit more evident in your life after a few cold ones or prior? A legit question to ask ourselves. Is that, that's why I saying a lot of times we start to slip into this and all of a sudden we're okay with a, getting used to a, a little buzz at the end of the day. How are we doing with that when he's saying, take that off, cast that off? Is that helping you be more loving? I'm not talking about the drunk guy that tells you I love you every five seconds either. I'm talking about, is that really genuinely helping you to love better? Cast it off. Sexual immorality, obviously a huge one in our day and age. Then it might have been more towards the physical. Now it's more about the virtual. How are we doing with that? Casting off, saying, I want nothing to do with that. I'm done with that. That's night living. Quarreling, he points to or fighting, however you want to picture that. Some of the things that go down in our houses, we'd be embarrassed to see broadcast. Some of the fights that happen between spouses, some of the, 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 the arguments that go down and the words that are spoken and, and exchanges that happen. He's like, man, you need to be done with that. That gets in the way of this love debt that you have. How can you be loving that person when you're fighting? And if you think about us, the things we fight about so often, you're like, what is that? What's the reason behind that? Why would we fight over that? Jealousy, wanting what someone else has. Isn't that easy to get sucked into? So easy to get pulled that direction in a world of affluence that we're in to be like, oh man, it would be so nice to have that. He's saying, you want nothing to do with that. That's only going to cloud and get in the way. You need to take that off. And what does he say to put on as an alternative? He says, put on the armor of light intended to protect the wearer. And the truth is, is when we start living in the light, when we say, you know what, I'm done with that old stuff. When you start living it and you're just like, man, life is so much better anyway. That's the thing that fascinates me about God's plan for us is so often we see as all these restrictive rules and like, oh, don't do this, don't do this. But the truth of the matter is it's always with our best interest in mind. When we start living within the, the, the parameters that he's established, you're just like, man, I enjoy this. It's not a list of rules. It's a, it's a path that's like full of, man, I, it's just so much better is what he's pointing to. Again, with the charge, day is at hand. Verse 14, to get dressed, he says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. After taking off old clothes, then you're choosing outfits for the day. My uh, two youngest, my daughters, love picking out their outfits for the day. Anybody have little girls or kids or maybe your spouse, your wife, uh, loves to do this, loves to choose their outfit. My girls will have lay down on the floor like from head to toe the whole outfit, the, the earrings, the, the, the sandals, the whole outfit. Like they love to pick out the new outfits. Yesterday they got new church shoes and so they were, Sienna this morning at like 7 a.m., she's fully dressed, got her church clothes on, comes into our room and they're like what are you doing and she's like ready to wear ready to go man this idea of putting on the new clothes i was talking to my wife there's kind of a funny experience when we lived back at judson university in chicago 
There's an architecture student, his name was Byron, that we got to know a little bit. Real unique individual, very focused and very on task to do exactly what it was that he was supposed to do. He needed to get good grades and become an architect and all this stuff. And he didn't want to be distracted by anything. So this guy wore the same gray pants and the same gray shirt every single day. It got to the point where we're a little bit, we went on a missions trip with this guy, Byron, and we said, you know, Byron, what's, what's the story with this? We noticed that you wear the same exact thing every day. He's like, no, no, it's not the same thing. I bought five shirts, gray shirts, and five gray pairs of pants, the exact same, so it takes no thought or distraction in the morning. I was like, all right, I can respect that. <laughs> I actually appreciate that. Uh, and, and so... Uh, and so just, just talking to this guy, he just, he's like, you know what, I don't want to be distracted with anything because I want to keep after the main goal. I want to ch- keep chasing the prize. And isn't that the same exact thing that we're seeing here? We're all supposed to wear the same exact thing. For some of you fashionistas, you're like, whoa, what about the variety? You're like, nope. Guess what you're supposed to wear today? Jesus. Guess what you're supposed to wear yesterday? Jesus. Guess what tomorrow? Jesus. The exact same thing he's saying. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So often we're trying to look for the new and the exciting and this this new radical experience. He's like, nope, just put on Jesus again today. Same thing as yesterday. Put him on. Start to think like he thinks. Align your mind with his. Seek his will. What does he want as your next move? Be in the moment like he calls us to be. Be present. Be active. Allow him to work in and through you. Get dressed putting on Jesus Christ. I thought it was interesting. I was doing a little research on this this week. and The name Christian, how we originally got it, it was actually originally a punitive term used by unbelievers to express disdain, and it actually meant little Christian or little Christ, little Christ. And if you think about that picture at first when you heard that, you're like, oh, I'm a, I'm a little Christ. At first, it was intended to be a, a slam, but the receiver of the slam's like, yeah, but that's what I'm trying to become. Like, I kind of like that term. I'll, I'll go with being a little Christ. But that's what he's saying here. He's like, man, put him on. Be little Christ in the world that you're placed. Because why would you want to give any provision to going back into the old clothes when you have the new? What does it say? It says, make no provision for the flesh. The flesh is what's remaining in us with a bent towards sin. It's what comes most natural to us. What he's saying, he's saying, grant no permission For the flesh. A lot of us are like, well, maybe I indulge just a little bit. He's like, nope, you can't even give it a little bit. When you think of provision, the provision is usually something that's eaten to stay alive. When when you keep feeding the, the flesh, it stays alive and is active. But when you give no provision, no food, all of a sudden, it's no longer an option. Why would you want to put on the old when you have the new? We were involved in Chicago with uh, homeless outreach. I've mentioned it before here. And in Chicago, it's a little bit more urgent because for somebody that's living on the streets and it starts getting in the negative temperatures, you're like, man, this is, this is a life and death situation here, man. This is, this is serious business. Remember, one of the things that we found or discovered over the years that we kept serving downtown Chicago with an, quite a few homeless folks is one of the things that they didn't have any uh, option to do would be to wash their clothes. 
So whatever outfit they're wearing or whatever layers they're wearing, it might be months of wearing that same exact outfit. And so that's why when you got close to some of these men and ladies, you start to have like, man, something's, something's a little rough on the, on the, the nose if I'm just going to be blatant here. And like kind of your heart went out for them because you're like, man, but they don't have any option for showers. One particular time, I think I may have told this story before, we, after we were done and serving and we'd given out all of these new clothes and jackets and provided all of jeans, the whole nine yards, we went into a McDonald's where a lot of the guys had changed. Well, the guys that had changed had left all of their old clothes in this McDonald's bathroom. You opened the door to go into the bathroom and it was like a wall of stench was just hitting you. You're just like, oh my goodness, it was just painful Start to thinking to yourself that image stuck in my mind of after you have the new clothes, why would you ever go back into the McDonald's bathroom, root through your, your old jeans and your old, old undergarments and your old, old jacket and say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this back on. I, I liked how that fit. I liked how that felt. Like, no, absolutely not. That's what he's saying here when he talks about this. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the old, stinky flesh. Why would you go back to that? Why would you go back to that old way of living? It doesn't make any sense. So here, this picture is for us to say, listen, first off, understand, you have a debt that is owed. It didn't, this didn't come without a cost. There's a debt that's owed, but it's not a miserable debt. It's the debt to love people, and it's not even something that you have to pay out of your own pocket. It's something that I'm going to pour out over you, my love, so that you can pass it on to other people. And then he's saying, but you got to wake up to this. you got to get rid of some of the old. You're, all this stuff is just going to get in the way of you paying that love debt and missing out the fullness of the life that God's called us to. I want to conclude just with one practical idea for us when we're practicing this, because sometimes when you talk about love in church, people's eyes start to glaze over. They're just like, I get it, love, yeah, hippie love, that's great, yeah, I understand love. But what if we started implementing, what if we started practicing this love debt with the people that were around the most, probably somebody sitting right next to you. What if we started practicing with the people that you're like around, a lot of people, anybody work with the same people every single day? Anybody around the same routine people at the, what, what, in your classrooms? In your, what, what if we said, you know what, I'm just going to try this love debt thing out with the people that I'm around the most. I'm confident that it would start to ripple out from there. If you got really, really good at loving your wife and your family, I'm confident that it would start to ripple outside of your household. Anybody think that this theory might be right? It might, might, might be onto something? Why don't we start with the love debt at home and see what God does in and through us? Let me pray. God, I thank you for this text and probably a nice needed pause from some of the challenging topics we've looked at in past weeks, a reminder that really the law and your commands really wraps around this one single idea is to love others. It's an invitation, an invitation to a life of purpose, a life of meaning, a life that we can put our heads on the pillow at the end of the day and feel good about. 
God, I pray that you'd stretch us in this, that you'd help us to love the unlovely. We all have that person in our life that comes to mind. God, I pray that you'd stretch us in this, that you'd help us to, to shed, to take off some of the old, the things that get in the way of us actually loving, the things that hinder that, the, the, the roadblocks. Some of the ones you mentioned, God, I know hit home for many in the room now with drinking, with sexual immorality, with coveting, with jealousy, with quarreling. God, I pray that you'd help us to rid that. We can't do this without your help. We're dependent on you. But oh, the life that it would be if we all got this love thing straight. Can't imagine. God, that's our prayer. That's our ask. We can only do it in your strength. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. That's our heart's desire is for him to take our life, all of it, for his glory. Amen. Just a practical way as you guys are leaving today, once a month we have an option to give towards a deacon fund if you'd like to contribute towards that. Otherwise, have a wonderful day in the Lord. God bless you.